Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 400. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today. And I'm thrilled to introduce you to our guest, Dove Barron. Dove is a leadership speaker with Dove Barron International. And before I ask you to give yourself an even better introduction, I was looking at your URL for your website, Dove, Full Monty mm-hmm. Leadership. That goes yeah. right back into some of what we were talking about before we got on there. Like, all I can think of is of Full Monty is that movie that was out a few years ago, and I'm sure that's not fair to you. Listeners, I'll share what we were talking about in our pre-chat later, but Dolph, welcome. Thank you, Kim. It's good to be here. And it's not an insult at all. That is actually where the idea came from. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Yeah, because if you remember the movie, it's about a bunch of guys who nobody thinks should take their gear off and they take all their clothes off in order to compete and be different. Yeah. And our whole philosophy around leadership is that you need to reveal everything. All the things that you've been hiding as a leader actually is what will endear people to you and make you a better leader is your vulnerability, your willingness to share your ugly bumps. Oh, I love that, especially because I just sent out my first non-salesy email to my list this morning in about, oh, I don't even know how long. Like, that's how sad Mm -hmm. it is. I do marketing automation and marketing for clients, and I haven't sent out a non-salesy email to my list in probably forever, right? Right. But I was sharing about how I didn't burn dinner last night, which is amazing in its own right. I burn dinner just about every single night. My husband actually said to me, this is the best chicken you've made since we've been married. And you've been married for 142 years? Yeah. It feels like it sometimes. <laughs> I mean, especially with all these kids, it feels like it sometimes. With all these kids, yes. Yes. And they actually ate my dinner themselves. Like, that is a win. Any day that well, the So kids... it wasn't punishment. Absolutely. Most nights it is. You have it's been like, a very bad child. You will eat your mother's cooking. Uh-huh. That's all there is to it. <laughs> oh, mom's cooking? It's a night of torture. Find the cage. <laughs> See, I could segue you right back to back what we were cage. talking about. Yep. Back in the cage. Back in the cage. So, listeners, Dolph and I met at Steve Olsher's New Media Summit, and I am so happy that we had that opportunity because, yeah. I am so excited about what we're going to be talking about today, what we've already chatted about before today, and so many more conversations to come. But would you share with the listeners how you got to where you are today? Uh, you mean Vancouver? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or No, but Dolph, I went through an entrepreneurial struggle myself where mm-hmm. I was not being transparent. I was not being authentic and basically just wasn't being out there at all. Because I was afraid that because I wasn't perfect, people wouldn't like me. I mean, yes, because I didn't cook dinner, I wasn't sending email or because I couldn't cook dinner without burning it. I wasn't sharing anything about myself. Right. And that's such a downfall. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's different if you are maybe 25 or younger than you've grown up in a social media world that requires you to reveal everything. And I don't even know if that's the right way to go either. But there's somewhere in between where you are being discerningly vulnerable. And what that does, as we were talking about before, is it endears people to you. 
But if you're over 25, and I know you're 26, but if you're over 25, there's this sense of if I show people this, the chink in my armor, if I show them the parts of me that are less than perfect, they won't value, they won't respect me, they won't whatever it is. And it's completely, absolutely false. I'm going to give you a great example so everybody can understand this. Because it, it goes across the board. It goes across the board in business as a leader. It goes across the board as an entrepreneur. And it goes across the board as a human being. So what I want you to do is, in your mind, I would like for you to think of a person that you've known for somewhere between three and five years. And just imagine that person standing next to you. And this person is a dear, close friend, a trusted, fiercely loyal friend. Can you think of that person? Yep. Great. So picture that person in your head. Now, on the other side, I want you to imagine on the other side of you, somebody you've known for equal amount of time, but that person is just an acquaintance. Hmm. So now you've got two people who you've known for approximately the same amount of time. One is a dear, trusted, fiercely loyal friend, and the other one is merely an acquaintance. What is the difference? It's not time. So what's the difference? The rawness and the details. You got it. Yeah. The difference is that the dear friend knows your shit and you know theirs. Yep. That's it. It's vulnerability that builds relationships. Unless we have that deep vulnerability with each other, we don't build the relationships. So if you want to build relationships with your customer, you have to show your vulnerability. You want to build it with your clientele, you have to show your vulnerability. It's not about always being perfect. And it's interesting. I think you know, Kim, that I've been doing this a long, long time. I've got more than 500 videos on YouTube and my own podcast with 500 plus episodes, etc., and blogs up the yin-yang. And I tell you that the videos that have done best are the ones where I talk about having anxiety disorder or where I talk about feeling depressed or I talk about any of those things because by doing that, people see both sides. They see that they're in that place or they could be in that place or they know somebody in that place. But there is a way out because here's Dov who is who can be depressed, who, who can go into an anxiety episode and can come out on the other side and still be playful and loving and friendly and, and a business person. You know, when I published an article on Thrive, maybe about six months ago, Thrive Global, mm-hmm. about how sleep deprivation ended up costing me more than my whole college education yeah, because it ended sense. up putting me in the mental hospital from anxiety and depression, hallucinations, all of that awesome stuff. I was so scared to put that message out because I was worried what people would think about it. But the response, mm-hmm. I didn't receive one bad response. I received, thank you for sharing this. Mm-hmm. Thank you for letting me know that there's a way out. Thank you for letting me know how bad sleep deprivation can be which I think is its own struggle that so many of us face. Let me just do more. Let me just do more. Let me just do more. I'm going to catch up with these people if I don't sleep tonight. Yes, I have had four cups of coffee this morning, people. But I also slept last night. Had I not had the sleep, then my mouth wouldn't be running as fast as it is. And my brain wouldn't be going right along with it. Mm -hmm. But I was so afraid to share the struggles I had gone through with sleep deprivation and everything that it had gone through. But sharing that, has helped at least a couple people based upon the email responses that I got. And there's always people out there that are watching, even when we don't know that they're watching. It's one of my basic philosophies is that I'm here to serve as somebody in business. I need to know who my audience is and I need to speak to my audience. But there's something that I 
at a personal level for me that I think is very important. And I certainly guide it to the people that I serve to the people that I mentor one-on-one, the people I coach, uh, the people I lead individually. And that is very simply this. I want you to consider that the people you're serving, if they're impacted by you, will share what it is that they learned from you. You're actually impacting lives of people who will never know your name and whose names you will never know. And if you understand that, then you will begin to understand the ramifications of what it is that you do. And so when you are courageous and vulnerable and you share something powerful, uh, Sally may have seen that article and thought how wonderful it was and never told you. But she went away and she talked to her best friend who's got three kids and hasn't slept in three weeks and says, hey, you got to read this. And the friend says, I can't. I'm too busy. I'll read it to you. And she reads it to her. And Sally's friend breaks down crying and goes, oh, my God, this woman's talking about me. And instead of rushing off to the hospital, actually goes to bed and pulls the blankets up and goes to sleep and actually starts to recuperate. That's the impact that you get to have. That's the important thing to realize is that you're having an impact on lives of people who will never know your name and whose name you will never know. It's giving me goosebumps, like up my arms and legs right now, just thinking about that, because that's exactly Mm -hmm. the impact that I want to have. Absolutely. Yeah. What's the impact that you want to have? It is that, as I think you know, Kim, in June 1990, I uh, fell off a mountain. I was very successful. I was at the top of my game at the time. In the context of what I knew at that point, I was speaking all over the world. I was on TV, radio, newspapers, magazines. I was also an adrenaline junkie. And on that particular fateful day in June 1990, I was at about 120 feet free climbing, which means climbing without ropes, reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock that hit me in the face and sent me hurtling down and crushed me onto the boulders below. I got smashed to absolute pieces. And I can tell you, the gory details of that, like the fact that there was nothing left of my face. I landed literally on my face, got smashed completely. I can tell you all the details of it and the depression and the darkness and all those things. But what I want to tell you is this, is that if you fast forward many reconstructive surgeries and about six or seven years later, after doing a lot of work on looking for my purpose, see, after I fell, I questioned everything. Mm-hmm. I questioned why I was here. I questioned, did it matter? I questioned whether I, what I was doing mattered. I questioned absolutely everything. And so I began to look for, well, why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? What is my purpose? And about six, seven years later, I, would, I delivered this uh, multi-day training. And at the end of it, people are very generous and gracious, and they stand to say, thank you. I understand. I know how I am and how most people are, and that is that when we get paid a compliment, it often hits the plexiglass it bounces off it doesn't really get in and so one of my tricks to have it go in is to when somebody says thank you is for me to say specifically for what because i want to know what was the actual impact and this lady paused and she said i want to thank you for my grandchildren and she was probably in her oldest in her early 40s and i said you don't look old enough to have grandchildren and she said i'm not but that's my daughter over there and she's pregnant And she said, and what I've learned from you around finding my purpose has changed me. It will change my relationship with my daughter, and it will change my relationship with my grandchildren. Thank you for helping me find my purpose. And it was at that moment when tears flooded out of my eyes, and I got 
that it's about having impact on people's lives whose name you will never know. So there's little grandbabies out there, and someday they're babies that you are impacting. Right. And we're all doing it. Mm. And we're either doing it negatively or positively, but it is happening. And that's the grand accountability of life, is you are having impact. The question is, what kind? Now, Dob, I didn't actually know about you falling off the mountain. So when you said mm. that, I thought you meant like a metaphorical, metaphorical. mountain. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's quite literal. And by the way, it was a metaphorical one, too, because as I often say, I fell 120 feet from a self-imposed pedestal and landed on my ego. Ooh. Ouch. Yep. So would you say that you've climbed higher, not ego-wise, but climbed higher now than you were at before? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's vastly different now. Where I'm coming from is a different place. That's the distinction. After I fell, I remember sitting with a friend of mine. And I was, like I said, I was in a pretty dark place. Mm-hmm. I was sitting with a friend of mine, and he said, so when are you coming back? And this was about eight, nine months into the recovery, and I said, I'm not. And he said, what do you mean? We go, and I say, I'm done speaking. I'm done writing. I'm done working with clients one-on-one. I'm done with it. I'm finished. And about another year later, he was at a seminar that I was delivering. And he said, I thought you weren't going to do this. And I said, I'm not. And he said, I just heard you speak. Obviously, you are. And I said, no. And he said, yeah, I just heard you. And you also said that you work one-on-one with people and you were going to take clients. And I said, yeah. And he goes, so you can't tell me you're not doing it. I said, I'm not. And he goes, I don't understand. I said, I know. I am still doing it, but I'm not doing it from the same place. I'm not doing it from the place that I was doing it from before. Now it's about my purpose. It's why I'm on the planet. So have I become far more well-known, far more successful? Absolutely. Way bigger than I ever was back in those days. But it's not about that. It's about the lives that I get to touch, the difference I get to make. So what place was it from before? That's a great question, Kim, because if you'd have asked me the day before, I'll be honest with you, the day before, if you'd have asked me, I said it was about purpose because I didn't know enough. Now, let me be clear here. I fell in June 1990. I was 32 years old. I began my personal work at 19. So it wasn't like I was a dumbass and didn't know anything. Right. I knew lots. I'd done lots of work. I traveled the world to study with different spiritual masters from around the world. I studied Vedanta, Hindu philosophy, Buddhism, Gnostic Christianity, Kabbalah, the Tao. I studied all these different religious philosophies. I'd studied psychology. I'd been in therapy. I'd done all that kind of work. I'd taken more workshops than than most people could possibly even imagine. So it wasn't like I was a dumbass. If you'd have asked me why I was doing it, I would have said it was purpose-driven. But there's something that most people don't realize. You see, and I just wrote a book about this. We go looking for our purpose in our passion. I was a very passionate speaker, very passionate about what I was doing. Your passion is not your purpose. Your purpose is not your passion. Your passion is revealed in your joy. But your purpose is actually revealed in your pain. Can you repeat that again? That was deep. I have a tendency for that. (laughs) Your passion is found in your joy. So people say, I'm very passionate about this. This must be my life's purpose. No. I'll give you a simple example so you understand. If you are a male or you've ever known a male who was 15 or 16 years old and you think about what they're passionate about, and if they made that a career, 
all men would be in gynecology who were straight men. <laughs> I know what I was passionate about at 15. <laughs> right? That would be a terrible career choice. But if we follow our passion to our career, that is what I would have done. Yeah. Obviously, that would be a poor choice. So our passion is transitory. Your passion is a vehicle. Think of it as a vehicle. The fuel in the vehicle is your purpose. Mm -hmm. There's a point when the vehicle breaks down, you, it's done its thing, you're okay. It's like, okay, this passion is over. Next, I can probably ask you, Kim, you were probably passionate about something 10, 15 years ago that you like now. You're like, yeah, you know, it's okay, but it doesn't light your fire anymore. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So passion is transitory, but purpose is not. Purpose is this one red thread that is woven throughout the tapestry of your life. And finding that one red thread, it most likely comes to the surface in pain, not in joy. It is in that moment when we're struggling and we have to ask the hard questions, where we have to look into the mirror, that we see the very thing we don't want to see. Every single one of us has had the experience of seeing a photograph and going, who the hell is that? Right. That doesn't look like me. You know why? Because we don't look at ourselves. Even if you're a person who puts makeup on in the morning, most of you don't look at yourself. You look at the part you're putting the makeup on, but you don't actually look into your eyes. We don't do that. And so we don't look at ourselves. So we don't see what is truly there. We don't see the depth of who we are, the, the magnificence of who we are. And we don't see the things that we need to heal and bring home and, and bring on those disenfranchised parts of ourselves so we can become whole and complete and magnificent in a way that we can serve. And that is most likely to be revealed when you have sleep deprivation, when you're put into the hospital because you fell off a mountain and you're having reconstructive surgeries, when you've gone bankrupt, when your wife or husband or partner has walked out on you and you thought it was okay, when the doctor gave you a diagnosis that said you've got about two years to live or your heart's about to explode or whatever it is, it's those moments where we stop and we question the very existence of our being, that's when we have access to the purpose of our life, not in your joy. That's passion. It's wonderful. I'm a very passionate guy. You can hear that. I'm a very passionate guy. I'm in favor of passion. I love passion, but I understand my passion is not my purpose. My purpose is deeper and my passion is a vehicle for it and therefore it can change. Yes, I can hear your passion. <laughs> I wish the universe had told me about this 10 years ago, 2008, mm -hmm. when I was admitted to the mental hospital, because sure. it took another eight years for sleep deprivation to hit me again. Right. Summer of 2016, it all happened again. And that's when my purpose became clear. I was like, hello, Kim. Yeah. You've been through this twice now. Are you going to do it again? And then all of a sudden, everything just clicked with me. It's not just me. There are so many other people out there who are going through this and they think that just staying up all night is going to solve all their financial and business trouble and everything. And listeners, you might not hear it very often, like on here, but I can get all excited like you just were like talking about this stuff usually is in one on one calls. But it's like, yes, this is what fuels me. I've actually hung up on clients before who told me that they had only gotten two hours of sleep the night before. Like, okay, well, I'm not talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. You are going to go to sleep and then we will reschedule and talk next week because that's not in line. I'm not going to support. I'm going to support 
but not on the, a call. I'm going to support them by telling them to go get the self-care that they need. Right. You've just said a couple of very important and powerful things that I want to reiterate for our listeners. And number one, what you said was that this was not the first time. And I think that this is vitally important. It's part of my message to people in the fact that you had to go through that twice is not unusual. I've met clients who I remember going to the hospital to see a client of mine who'd had a massive heart attack, three fully blocked arteries. It was game over. And they just managed to catch him and save his life. And he said, I'm sitting and we're talking and he said, okay, Dov, you're right. I haven't been listening to you. You know, I've got to reevaluate my life. And he's validating what I've been saying to him for a long time. And he goes, you know, I've missed out on so many anniversaries. I've missed out on birthdays, holidays, time with my children. This is not an old man. This is a man in his late 40s, early 50s. And I said, yeah, that's great. I'm really glad. And I said, no, I want you to write it out and write a commitment. And he did all that. And we went through it. And he said, that's it. And I said, okay. And, you know, we went through it. How many hours a week are you going to work? And how many late nights are you going to pull? And all these things. And he laid it all out. And he was solid on it. And he was absolutely certain on it. Nine months later, he was working 70 hours a week again. And that was a short week for him, 70 hours a week. And I said to him, mate, we talked about this. This shit got you in the hospital and almost got you dead. Well, you know what? I realized that that's just who I am. No, it's not. That's what you think you have to be in the world, but it's not who you are. Who you are is very different than the way you think you have to be in the world, which is exactly what you were just talking about, Kim. We mix the two things up. It's not who you are. And so just to make it clear for everybody, if you don't pay attention, it will come back. You have to pay attention. How do I know? Because my fall was my fourth, not my first, my fourth. The first one was off Bluff Knoll in Western Australia. I fell 70 feet down a shale mountain. That was the first, and there was two in between, and there was an, any number of metaphorical falls, but I needed something that was enough that would incapacitate me where I couldn't get up because after the fall in Western Australia, I just went to bed for a couple of days, got up, and went back to doing my crazy stuff. Oh, my gosh. So this is the point I want you to get as you listen to this. If you don't pay attention, so here's how I like to say it. I believe that your ego screams, mm -hmm. but your soul whispers. So your soul whispers to you, you know what? This isn't the right track. You know what? This is not really you. And you go, ah, la, 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 I can't hear you. There's all this noise going on. Oh, my, my phone's pinged three times and I sent out this email. And this day, like, you know, I can't listen to that whisper. And so the ego continues to whisper until he eventually says, oh, this is not you. You need to do something about it. And eventually, the ego just shoves you off the king mountain. It will do what it takes to wake you up. And I want you to get, this is really important for you. I'm not preaching it. I want you to get this because I'm talking to your soul. If you don't listen, it will get bigger. And you have no choice. But to listen, that is vitally important for you to get. You are already magnificent. You are born full, complete, and magnificent. And nothing can take that away. 
You live in a world that tells you you're not enough, not good enough, not pretty enough, not tall enough, not strong enough, not whatever enough. But it's not true. Should you keep growing and keep developing? Yes. It's not some new age shit about your perfect and you don't need to do anything. Of course you need to do things. You need to grow and you need to develop. That's part of your process in life. But it's not because you're deficient. Mm -hmm. It's to add to, it's to give you the tools to peel back and reveal the magnificent diamond that you are. And the diamond is always buried in the rock. And the rock must be pushed against the wheel to reveal the diamond. And life will do that to you. And if you don't stop and you start putting on more crap to cover up whatever the wheel of life is trying to reveal to you, you miss so much. Amen. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's the end of the sermon. (laughs) No. Hey, I'm shouting out my amen like mid sermon. Oh, Mm -hmm. yes. I always thought for those 10 years plus prior, I mean, I didn't get my uh aha until I was 37, 38. I'm 39 now. So let's just go back two years. But okay, 37. But up until then, I always thought it will get better when I have more money. And that was always it. When I have more money, this when I have more money that when I'm making lots of money, this. So I was always chasing income. And it Mm -hmm. was never about impact. It was never about purpose. I thought I was supposed to be doing social media. And I didn't even have a clue. I wasn't passionate about it. I just saw these people who said that they were doing really good and they were making all this money. So I was like, yep, that's what I got to do too. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not good at what I do, but there's a purpose behind it now. I mean, the purpose behind all the automation is to get people out of their businesses and back into their life and back into their beds. Which is sort of funny, considering we were talking about, this is where I let you in on what we were talking about before, listeners. We were talking about, (laughs) (laughs) and so going over what a marketing funnel is with somebody who wasn't familiar. And she ended up sharing afterwards that it was the best 46 minutes that she had ever spent in her business. And just, I've never shared this on the podcast before, but my mind can go places you wouldn't necessarily expect by being a positive productivity listener, except for the fact that I have five kids. So I was laughing to myself i was like that was an orgasmic sales funnel experience maybe that's what i should call the product but yes i do want people to get back into their beds Mm -hmm. not just for the sex even though that's awesome but to sleep and if they don't have that set up then they can't and i'm so passionate about that now it's not about setting up the automation because i can get a lot of money about it or out of it It's setting up the automation so that they can go to the soccer games and the concerts. In full disclosure, I can't go to concerts right now for my oldest because my littlest try to get up onto the stage and join in. It's just how it... (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. Or they shout at him from the audience, even though they're three and four. They haven't quite gotten that through their head that they can't shout, Hi, Jacob, from the audience. (laughs) But the automation is set up so that if that weren't going on, I could go. Right. Most of the time. Mm-hmm. But you see, this is, you've just given clues. I want people to grasp them. And thank you for that, by the way. Yeah. Because it's important to me. When I talked about purpose, and I said your purpose is not revealed in your pleasure or your joy or your passion. Your purpose is revealed in your pain. So one of the things you kept talking about, and you said that you thought that money was going to solve all your problems. 
you thought that was what was going to be. And if you just did that, then it would all be all right. But isn't it interesting that what it is you do now is you are actually removing this egoic desire. It's not, you have to understand ego is not about, ooh, look at me. That's part of ego, but it's not it. But this ego desire to do more constantly and as a result, not sleep because of this need for money. So what you've created is a system that helps people to actually, yes, create more money, but also have more time. So your part of your purpose is to heal the wound you have in other people. That's profound if you can get that. I work with people, people pay me a lot of money to work with me to help them find that, is that you're actually here to heal the wound you have in other people. I love that. Now, here's a question for you, and I'm not meaning to be controversial at all. How do you help other people find their purpose? Isn't it something that they have to find within themselves? So there's two young fish, and they're swimming through a lake, and they're swimming side by side in this lake, and as they go swimming along the lake, this larger fish, older fish, comes swimming up towards them. And as the big old fish swims towards them, the big old fish looks at them and says, all right, lads, how's the water? They don't respond and they just swim on. And they swim on for a little while and then suddenly look at each other and go, what the fuck is water? You can't see it because you're in it. Mm. You can't find your purpose. It's very unlikely, and it's possible, but it's very unlikely that you will find your purpose by yourself. Yeah. Why? Because we are not subjective in an objective. Uh, we cannot be objective in a subjective reality. We all live in our own subjective reality. You don't get to see how many times have you looked at a friend and gone, Jesus, what is wrong with this person? Why can't they see this? It's so obvious that their husband, wife, friend, whatever it is, is a douchebag. You can see they're a douchebag. Why can't they? Because none of us is objective in our subjective reality. You can't see the water because you're in it. You need somebody to have help you see it. That's what I do. That's my gift. I can see it. And I can help service it in people in a way that I've never met anybody who can. You were just describing my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm not sure which part, but I'll just we'll leave it there. Yeah, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Something that constantly astounds me is, well, it does and it doesn't. I live in very blue collar Ohio, mm -hmm. where there are so many people who are making not that much more than minimum wage that they are working in factories well just doing very blue collar work but that's the way that they were raised that's what they know that's where, how they think that it will always be yes and they'll ask me what i do and they won't understand i mean no. honestly i don't talk about what i make because i don't want them to feel bad about where they are i understand right but I, at the same time i wish i did more talk about it because mm -hmm. maybe it would spark that, oh, there's more out there. But a lot of them don't even want to hear about it. They're so comfortable in where they are right now. That's how it's going to be. I think there's two types of people in the context of what you're talking about. And that is those who are comfortable because it's what they know. And what I mean by that is, so if you look at the word familiar, familiar comes from the Latin word familios meaning that which I grew up in. So if it's familiar, 
If it's what I've grown up in, then I fight for it, even if it's crap. I'm trying to keep it, even though it's nonsense and it doesn't really work and it doesn't make me happy. I mean, again, I might offend some people here. I've been known to do that occasionally. But the fact that you're a miner and you're protesting about the mines closing down, I'm sorry, you need a reality check. A, that industry is dead. And B, you are capable of so much more than breathing coal dust. And I can speak from experience because I was born in northern England in a ghetto. I was born in not middle class, not blue collar, abject poverty. And I saw mill workers and I saw steel workers and I saw coal miners and I saw shipyard workers all protesting because their jobs had gone away. Do you think it slowed it down or halted it? It didn't. Progress is progress. Either get up, get out of the way. There are things that are going to change. It's called the way the world and people who do the best and adapt the fastest. So stop fighting for a job that, sh- that pays you shit and damages your health. Instead, go find a way to get some help. Get some, and there's government ways to be trained. There's all kinds of ways to be trained. It won't cost you anything. But get off your lazy ass and learn something new because you're capable of something more. You're, ca- you're magnificent. Never shine in that shitty job that pays you minimum wage. And here's the thing, Kim, that I want everybody to get, that I am now putting forward a challenge to Kim. And the challenge is this. Kim, you need to put on a little seminar in your hometown that says, if you're sick of struggling, if you're sick of working so hard for minimum wage, if you're sick of not having enough sleep because you're just trying to make ends meet, there is another way. Do you want to know what it is? Boom. That's it. Holy cow. You're not helping chronic idea disorder at all right now. I'm not. I'm planning to help your purpose. But you would be helping so many people in my town. And I would be helping your purpose. Yep. So my husband was actually the first subject of what I didn't even know was my purpose. Right. At that time. <laughs> in 2012... So I lost my job as an interior architect in 2008 when the economy tanked here. I was designing schools. The taxpayers stopped paying for school improvements. There goes my job. And went through a divorce, met my husband. And he was raised by a father who had always worked in the steel factory. He thought that was just where he was going to go. He joined the armed service or the U.S. Air Force, got out and just assumed that he was going into factory work. But after we got married, he kept on losing his job. And one Mm -hmm. of our earliest conversations was, like, when we started dating was, what did you want to be when you grow up? I'm always intrigued to know what people want to be when they grow up. And he told me, I wanted to be a video game developer. Mm -hmm. So he kept on losing his job. And I told him, and this is going into my faith a little bit, but I told him, maybe this is God's way of telling you it's time to do what you want to do. So Mm -hmm. Dov coincidentally he had VA benefits, veteran benefits to pay for his college education that he had never exercised. He had even forgotten he invested into. And he had three years remaining. And as it turned out, he could get the degree, the four-year degree in three years if he just stopped looking for other work, stopped working that job and went after his degree. And that's what he did. Beautiful. And he's still working to be able to do that full time. It will happen after we get our house completely situated. But yeah, I want to do that for more people. Oh, thank you. There you go. That's your purpose. Yep. So what did you want to be when you were growing up? I knew you were going to go there. Uh-huh. You so saw it coming. what I wanted to be was what everybody thought I was going to be, and that was an artist. 
Hmm. Uh, my art was in galleries by the time I was 10. I would paint and draw all the time. I sculpted, I painted, I drew, I did all of those things. And uh, about two years ago, I was invited to speak at a startup launch academy here in Vancouver, Canada, where I now live. And uh, I was get to speak to these high school kids who were part of this launch academy. And so I asked them the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And I listened to their answers and I said, now, I want you to stop for a minute and I want to ask you this question. How many of you answered with something you think you should want to be? And I said, you don't have to tell me, but I want you to think about that. And they're like, OK. And so one of the kids asked me and I said, I want to be an artist. And I said, and everybody thought I should be an artist because I was damn good. And one of the kids said, are you an artist now? Because we just heard that you're a speaker and you're an author and all these other things. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, do you still do art? And I said, no. And one of the kids said, don't you miss it if that was what you were supposed to be doing? And I said, no, I don't. Because to miss it would mean I would have to be thinking about it and thinking about I'm not doing it. And I wish I was doing it. I said, I don't think that. So we carried on with the rest of the presentation. And at the end of the presentation, I said, I want to stop and I want to thank the and appointed to this person and said, for asking me the question about, do I miss it? And I said, because you made me think about it. And the person said, oh, how? And I said, I realized something I hadn't realized before. And they said, what? I said, I'm still an artist. And they said, what do you mean? You just said you don't paint, you don't draw anymore. And I said, no, I don't. And I said, do you know the story of Michelangelo? And they said, no. And I said, well, the story of Michelangelo is this that apparently he was asked, how was he able to sculpt David from the marble? And Michelangelo said, I didn't. I just chipped away everything else to reveal David. I said, I'm still an artist. Even though I teach people strategies and techniques and I'm able to, and I've got a whole encyclopedia of those and, and I've got amazing strategies and techniques that I use on people. But the number one thing I do is I chip away everything that's not real. I reveal the magnificent David within them. That is how I'm an artist. Instead of adding like I did when I drew or I painted, now I remove what's not true, what's not real. I'm still an artist. Wow. Wow. That's huge. I'm going through a bit of that with my kids right now, actually. Because mm -hmm. I have a 15-year-old who just wrapped up his freshman year of high school. And by mm -hmm. this age, when I was his age... I was already looking through college catalogs, trying to figure out which one I was going to go to. I was a nerd. But I was also doing the same thing. I went to art school to become an interior architect. Mm -hmm. So I asked him, what do you want to do? And the first answer that he came back with was, I want to be an accountant. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, I've never seen him look at numbers. He has no idea where money is. It's on his <laughs> desk. Like, why do you want to be an accountant? Because I'll make a lot of money. Aha! Uh -huh. He caught Kim's disease. Uh-huh. But then I asked him, I said, so in 30 years, do you really want to be sitting in a cubicle looking at numbers? Or is there something else that you want to do? I said, because I am not going to send you to college to be an accountant if it's not going to make you happy in 30 years. I said, I would mm -hmm. rather that you just not go to college and pursue something that makes you happy. Right. He's like, no. Mm -hmm. He's like, I actually want to be a major league baseball umpire, but that's a really tough field to get into. I said, well, then that's the one that we need to look at. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. So Fabulous. We're, we're still working on that. So now I would ask him why. See, because he may want that because maybe he sees that as fame. And if that's what that is, then, of course, then 
that is also going to fall apart quick. And this is one of the challenges. Again, I had that with this conversation with these kids, which is if you're pursuing something for fame, that's fine, but it's not going to fulfill you. And the question I, I asked them very simply is, have you ever heard of a famous person who killed themselves? And of course, every kid knows that there are. And so if you want fame, does that guarantee that you're going to be happy? And the answer is no, it doesn't. I'm not sure about fame for umpire because mm-hmm. I can't say I've ever, like, I know the name of any Major League Baseball umpire. I mean, to no. me, it just sounds like an opportunity to get hit by balls all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it probably so, is. Read into that as you want to. But I don't know. I'm going to have to ask him that question as soon as we get off, though. If you were here in my office, I would ask him right now, why do you want to be an umpire? I know he enjoys it. He's actually working as one right now. Fabulous. That's great. Dove, what excites you the most about the next 90 days? Hmm. About the next 90 days. About the next 90 days is that we have a brand new course coming out that I will be teaching. It's the first time I've offered an online course. As you know, Kim, I do a lot of work with companies and corporations and organizations And they bring me in to help them find their corporate purpose. And we've transformed that into a public program that people can actually sign up for and become part of that course. Um, So I'm very excited to deliver that course for the very first time. It's a pilot course. It's never been done before. I've never done it before. And uh, so I'm really excited about actually helping people to work through and find their own purpose. Can we get a link to that to put in the show notes? You can, but not in this moment, because I have it right this moment. But absolutely, you can. And it's a run-on from my brand new book that just came out and just actually went bestseller in three different categories on Amazon. It's called One Red Thread, which is exactly what we were talking about before. It's discovering the purpose that's already woven into your life. Listeners, when we get the link to Dov's course, it will be in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP 400, but one red thread will definitely be there. Fabulous. Okay. Full disclosure. I haven't read your book, but I definitely want to read it. Actually, I want to pass it on to my sons. Well, then you know what's nice about it, Kim, is they'll be able to understand it. Yeah. I'll tell you a very quick little story. After I fell and uh, I had just come back, I was, like I said, I was starting to speak again and I'd just done, I think, like a couple of very small things. And a friend of mine came to visit me from Australia, actually a guy who actually got me into the speaking world. He came to visit me from Australia and he, he said, where's your book? And I said, what book? And he said, your book. And I said, I don't have a book. And he said, why not? You need to have a book. You've been doing this a long time. By 1990, I'd already been speaking for six years. So this was now 92 so, you know, we're eight years in. He goes, you don't have a book. And I go, no. He goes, you need to have a book. And I said, yeah, I know, but I can't have one. And he goes, why? I go, because I can't write. And he goes, of course you can write. You write your name, don't you? I go, yeah, I don't mean that. I mean, you know, I can't write books. And he goes, why do you say that? I said, my spelling is awful and my grammar is worse. And he said, you know, there are these people, they live underneath bridges. And if you go to them and ask them, they'll, they'll help you. And I said, you're talking about trolls. He goes, no, you idiot. Editors. <laughs> He goes, they're editors. He goes, you've got so much brilliance and genius, you need to bring it forward, and you just need to find an editor who can help you. And I had never even considered that that was possible. 
because I had very serious dyslexia as a child, which I've managed to manage as I've gotten older. And I've written, I think this is my, I'm not sure it was my 10th or 11th book. I've written lots of books. I write a lot. I don't even use an editor that much anymore. But I had that block in my head. And this is the thing is, what is it in your head that's saying that you can't? You probably just not found out how yet. So it's not that you can't. It's not that you're not capable. You've just not found out how yet. And so one of the things, the guidance I got from the very first editor I work with is this. The problem with your writing, because I put them a document forward to them, is the problem with this writing is you're writing it trying to sound smart for adults. Ooh, I got caught. And I said, yep. Yeah. And they said, don't write for adults. And I said, why? Because most people don't read it at an adult level. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And he said, have you ever spoken to anybody and they didn't understand you? And I go, yeah, of course, lots of times. And they go, no, no, I mean, have you ever tried to explain something and not been able to find a way to explain it? And I go, no, I can always find a way. And they go, great, then you can write. Write as if it's for a kid, write in a way that anybody can understand it. And so there was this movie with Denzel Washington, I can't remember the name of the movie, but he's a detective. And at one point he says to this guy who's trying to explain something to him, pretend I'm seven and explain it to me like I'm seven. And that's what I keep in my brain when I write. Write it as if I'm writing for a seven-year-old. Oh, my heavens. In the past week, like right before we're recording this, I actually recorded an episode just like that. But it didn't hit me, even though right then I was inspired to record that episode. It didn't even hit me about my own book. Because I've been sitting mm -hmm. on my book because I didn't know how to write it smart enough. Yeah. Good for you. I'm glad you got it. Oh, it isn't about smart. It's right. about impact. Right. Oh, it's about impact. Every purpose is about impact. It's not about smart. Mm -hmm. So here's what I want you to get. Choose heart over smart. That's huge. I didn't expect you to give me assignments during this episode. So now, <laughs> <laughs> And you know, my book, no do, do you know what my book title is? I do not. It's no. Chronic Idea Disorder, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Overcoming Idea Overwhelm. There you go. So you're feeding right into my book during this episode. <laughs> now I can get the book out, but I also have to go out and do more because I have to, because my heart is telling me now that's exactly what I need to do in my community. Okay, quick tangent, and then we'll wrap this up. But part mm -hmm. of what my husband and I want to do when we're able, and you just actually helped me be able to do it even before financially able, is we want to build a rehabilitation center for victims of domestic abuse and also displaced veterans. Mm. He was homeless a year before we met. Wow. In North Dakota, we're living out of his car. Jesus. Yeah. So ridiculous and sad. Yeah. And he did have his car, but even when he was in the homeless shelter, when he found the homeless shelter, because he finally realized pardon me, but dummy, pick up the phone and call the VA for yeah. support. So his car's parked outside and everything is stolen out of that. So, And that was just a year before we met. But I can be starting to do those things that I want to do in this center today. So thank you, Dolph. You're welcome. Like, I don't need to wait until I have walls. I have walls right here. I have a buddy. His name is Jack from South Africa. He used to live in uh, Blaine, Washington, which is this tiny little town just over the border from Canada. And he would come up here all the time to Canada and he'd hang out with me and my mates. We were young and we'd go out and he would, uh, girls would ask him, what do you do? And he'd say, I'm the mayor of Blaine. 
he was not the mayor of that town. He just told people he was. And he was a funny guy. But his philosophy was this. Very simple. No waiting. That was what he would always say. To everything you say, you just say no waiting. He goes, all waiting is a lie. No waiting. So every time he was stopped by fear, he'd say no waiting. Mm. And he'd move in and do it. Mm. He said, there's not enough money. No waiting. Let's find a way. Step into it and do it. And so he would do, and I remember him starting a business, and he's telling me about business. I go, oh, my crap, that sounds fantastic. And he says, yeah, and I don't have the money yet, so I'm going to start it. And I said, well, how are you going to start it? He goes, I'm going to go going to find five people who I think would be interested in this and tell them I don't have the money, but I'm not waiting, and see what they say. And that's exactly what he did. And within two weeks, he started that business. Wow. No waiting. I'm writing that on a Post-it right now and sticking it on my monitor. No waiting. No waiting. This is a no waiting zone. My life is a no waiting zone. Listeners, write that down. Because I know if you're listening still, which you are, because you can hear me. I know you can hear me. Write that down right now. And go do something after you finish listening to the rest of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Dolph, thank you so much for joining me. I don't know what I was expecting, but it definitely wasn't. And it was just amazing. So thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored and I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to serve. And I hope that I added a ton of value to you and to your listeners. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to do that. And I also want to say one other thing, if I may, and that is for you, the listener. Kim puts together these shows. You've heard that this is a busy lady. she got a lot of things going on. She's juggling a lot of things aside from her kids and her home and all those other things. But she's got a lot of different business things. And she takes her time to bring you guests and speak to you and share with you their knowledge, her time, our time, all of which is worth a lot of money that people pay us for for those hours. She takes her hour. She takes the hour of the other person. She finds you great guests. She brings you the best knowledge. Acknowledge that. Don't be an entitled shit. Be a compassionate generous, gracious, grateful individual. Go online, go on iTunes, write a review, subscribe to the show, rate the show, write a review, and write to Kim and tell her what you got out of the show. I encourage you to write to me. I will give you my personal email address. It's dov at dovbaron.com. Now, I'm going to tell you, that not many people will write, but only write to me if you're going to tell me what you got out of this and what you're going to do with it. And CC Kim so she knows what, what you're going to do with it. And get somebody else, then add somebody else to that email and ask them to hold you accountable to doing it. And your life is going to get better because your life is a no waiting zone. Live your purpose. Holy moly. That was awesome. I need to grow some balls or bigger boobs so I can talk like that too. That's amazing. Yeah. And when you CC me, you can CC Kim at thekimsutton.com. I want some emails. Dove wants some emails. And those reviews would be awesome. Dove, where can listeners find you online and actually go to your show and leave a review as well? Thank you. My show is Dove Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Tips for Executives. So Dove Barron Leadership and Loyalty is where you'll find me on iTunes with the number one podcast in the world for Fortune 500 listeners. And Inc. Made is the number one podcast to make you a better leader. 
But I promise you there's much more in it. And if you go, well, I'm not a CEO, I don't care. I promise you there's a ton of value in there. You'll find great stuff in there. So you find me there. You find the podcast there. You can also find us on YouTube, Dove Baron, Full Monty Leadership. There's, like I said, around 500 videos on there that range from personal development, personal growth, leadership, communication skills. I mean, everything that you could possibly imagine to make you more of who you are and tap into your purpose is there. My main site is Full Monty Like the Movie, fullmontyleadership.com. If you go there, you'll get access to the podcast and my blog, which just says has about 500 articles on it. It's got access to all kinds of great things, including how you can work with me one-on-one as a strategist to help you tap into your purpose and really fulfill the reason that you came to the planet and have the kind of impact that you came to have or whether you want to bring me in to speak to your organization or your conference. So those are all just some of the ways that you could just simply Google D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N and you'll spend about 300 years just trying to get through all that material. (laughs) That's awesome. And to make it really easy, listeners, if you're driving or working out and you can't write that down right now, go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP400. I don't even know how to close this out because it's just been so amazing. So thank you again. I don't think I can. Was it an an orgasmic funnel? <laughs> uh, my husband's in the room. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that I can offer to listeners? Only what I've already said, which is your life is a no waiting zone. And this, the one thing that I just want you to get is your passion is not your purpose. Your passion is found in your joy. And when you have the courage to look into your pain, you will find your purpose. In the words of Joseph Campbell, the treasure you search for is in the cave you are terrified to enter. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.